War. War never changes. All warfare is based on deception. Lies! Deception! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Everything Comes From Something, episode 30. Good lord, we need to have another celebration episode because this podcast is going on for too long. Oh my gosh, we're old enough to... What are we old enough to do? Have a mortgage, I guess? Did you think we'd ever make it to 30? Yeah. My name is Isaac Ransom. I'm Cameron Tuttle. Thank you for joining us here for our 30th episode. As we promised last episode, this episode is best wars but our favorite wars our fa- i mean wars in general yeah we need to say that no war is great obviously there's no yeah, such no. thing as a best well, war well hold on hold on i'm going to i'm going to take issue with this there are certainly great wars like not great as in like they're not good they're not a good thing that to happen but there are great wars you know like there's there there's a scale and a scope to wars and and i think wars have a certain amount of um, narrative uh, power that I think everybody shares. Everybody loves a good war story. Well, I mean, there's also the endless death that comes with war. Yeah, as I'm well. not. I'm not saying that they're a good thing. I'm saying they're they they are great. They are important to learn about. Yes, and it's they're important, important in world history. I think so. So hopefully this episode will give you a good chuckle, give you a good little lesson about certain wars that have happened in the past. We have been biased. We've picked based on our own decisions. But before we get into the topic, I just want to say that our intro is a split of quotes from Fallout. I love that they say war, war never changes because as I always say, Bethesda games never change and they are broken forever. What you're Suck saying, it, what, JD. What, Suck it. What you're saying is Bethesda games equal war. <laughs> the next part of the quote was from Modern Warfare 3 uh, because I've been playing that game for some reason recently and the Don't intro the intro quote is from Makarov. So Daniel Baker, if you're listening, that was for you. And the last part of that quote was from Rogue One. Yep. So those are fun fictional wars. Let's get into some real stuff. Number one. Hold the, on. The Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't think we were getting into the topic that soon. No. If we got into the topic two minutes in, we would, first of all, not be good content creators. Second of all, <laughs> we wouldn't be shouting out our executive producers. That's true. Darren O'Neill and Kiana Lay. Thank you so much. I never say Kiana's last name. Yeah. Kiana Lay. Yep. Thank you. Why? It's so why, perfect. Why won't you say it? I, I just always forget. <laughs> That's the truth. I feel so bad. I want to say to Kiana... If you're listening to this show, I have actually felt so horrible. <laughs> uh, a few episodes back, I put her name in the description of the episode, and I spelled it wrong. And I have been eternally guilty about it. <laughs> um, it just needs to go on the air, because my embarrassment is well-deserved. I can't spell. If you read my descriptions, you will literally be like, this kid never finished second grade. <laughs> uh, spelling just never clicked with me. Hmm. And I think it was because they tried to teach me spelling at the same time as teaching me cursive. So, because they tried to teach me something useless and something useful at the same time, I deemed it all useless and didn't take any of the information. I period. see. So, but did you ever read? What? What's reading? <laughs> well, that's what I. That's how I learned how to spell was by reading. I don't know. It's pretty know. helpful. If you guys want to support us on Patreon.com, you can go to Patreon.com/slash ECFS Podcast. 
That's the acronym for this show. Everything yes. comes from something. And you can follow us on the social medias. Refer it to a friend. That's how a podcast grows. And feel free to give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify. All those things help the show. We are pretty much small and that's about it. We're small and <laughs> very, not, so, not so mighty. <laughs> very hungry. We're a little bit like that um, that that tribe that we're going to talk about in a little bit. <laughs> Just, I mean, I'm saying support us while we're small and not sold out. You can enjoy the good years before we become shills of our former selves. Hey, we're still shills. We're shills now. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that's, you know, history to come. Yeah. Just for you. Let's see. Just wait until we start getting ads to read. Just wait. <laughs> Just you wait. This <laughs> podcast wasn't a waste of my time. <laughs> oh, man. Um, we should get into the topic, but usually we take like 20 minutes to get into it. I feel like I'm missing something super important. No, I think we have a lot to to say about the topic. Yeah, Cameron and I have been doing a decent amount of research. So just to let you guys know, Cameron has spent time using his historical brain to look at wars that he thinks are just overall interesting on a historical level. I spent brain blast. I spent my time looking up the stupidest stuff I could find about wars. <laughs> so, we're going to start with just straight up dumb wars. Mhm. And th- this is I would say that this is a um inconclusive list, and I would like to revisit this topic. And also, I would say we should go into into like um, like war stories and things that we find most interesting about because I there's a lot of stuff that I haven't really been able to to dive into because you know just time res- time constraints and whatnot but like there's a lot of really really interesting things about wars that you wouldn't expect like even even the big ones like there's a, there's amazing stories in World War Two there's amazing stories in Vietnam so we're pretty much gonna avoid. The big wars. Yeah. For for this episode. We do want to get to those important war stories eventually. But we figured... I know earlier I said that this episode was the best wars. Excuse me. I'm like on the verge of burping because I'm drinking all this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, the... Um, this we probably will name this episode something differently in the title. Like Strange Wars or yeah. Interesting Wars or something like that. So... Well, I, would I probably say, shouldn't have said that earlier. I would say right now, from what I have, it's interesting wars that people just don't know about. Yeah. That people have never really heard about. A war, for instance, like the Emu War. Oh, man. This is funny. This <laughs> or is the really great emo, <laughs> emu War. I knew I was going to say emo. Yeah. So, Cameron, what is an emu? An emu is a big bird. <laughs> it's kind of like an ostrich. Yeah. It runs pretty fast. It's in Australia. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Side note about Australia. Oh my goodness. Right? This is all that I know about Australia. It's got big animals that box, okay? It's got big spiders that hide in your window, in your visor, in your car, and drop on you. Like like, oh. a, like the most terrible surprise. I have a spider story. I don't know if I told it already. I don't know, but it's also... Australia also has... Is always on fire. These are the always? three. Like it's lit, dude. <laughs> these are the three things I know about Australia. It's got so so many poisonous things, and and weird, strange animals. The, so anyways, tell your spider story. No, I don't. I don't want to tell a spider story. Okay. I'll save it for the post show because it's got nothing to do with the emu war. Sure. Shout out to our international listeners. We do have some out there. If you're from Australia, I hope this doesn't offend your culture. Down under. But back in 1932, this great emu war was launched because of a nuisance wildlife military operation. Or, or at least that's the title of what it is. Sorry, I should say that. Now, um, 
it occurred because of said nuisance, right? There was a basically a bunch of emus, these big birds running around uh, the Champion District in West Australia. And the population was just complaining about these large flightless birds running around. <laughs> and so the military took a bunch of Lewis guns and <laughs> the media termed it the emu war. And they basically went out and started shooting these these birds. But apparently, right, this is what you were saying, was they just like, they camped at a specific spot and just shot at the birds and they would all just run away. So it didn't really help. Yeah, they're really fast. They only used two Lewis guns and shot over 10,000 rounds of ammunition. <laughs> Crikey, that's a big bird, mate. I just got, I also got to say something else. So, oh, we have horrible Australian accents and and I'm oh, going to I'm going to mispronounce so much of the stuff that I've written down today. Yes. You just need to be warned. I can't spell. I apparently don't read. <laughs> I can't do cursive. <laughs> and I can't read. And you can't do an Australian accent. And I said read twice. Oi. <laughs> so yeah, uh this is a we war these big birds. against big birds. Now it didn't seem to be very successful. Yeah, apparently they just came back. I mean, you'd think, okay, hold on. You Australia is a penal colony, right? So they have they have some wild people. Uh they I mean this wasn't at this time, but they had the uh what's his name? The cro- the crocodile hunter guy. What's that guy's name? Steve Irwin. Oh yeah, uh, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Crocodile uh, Dundee. So they they have they have people who can wrestle animals. Yeah. Why didn't they just get the villagers to like go and hunt the hunt the emu? Funny themselves? you ask. Funny you ask. It was unsuccessful. There was multiple attempts. It seems. Um, it was like they're out of range of the guns. There's raining. Uh, there's just issues. They they couldn't get it under control. So in the aftermath, um, the farmers of the region, again requested military assistance over and over and over again and instead a bounty system was instigated mm. in 1923 so there was no emu war too <laughs> it says that it was effective 57 uh 57,000 uh and 34 bounties were claimed mm. over mm. a 6 month period in 1934 how many australian dollar dues do you think an emu was worth <laughs> No, <laughs> their their pelts were used to create something, but it seems like a lot of conversationalists began to protest it con- as con- conservationists. Yes, that's what I warned you guys. Uh, they <laughs> they uh, protested it, saying it was an extermination of the rare emu. Let's be honest, this is one ugly looking bird. It's a big old bird. Peter's not going to be very happy. They're not going to be happy. I said that. Did we make fun of Pina, Pita the other day? Do we make fun of Peanuts? Do we make fun of Pita? When are you not making fun of Pita, dude? For um, When is Pita not making fun of Pita? I think that's the other question. What was that that video that they put on Twitter where they had they had bananas strapped to their junk and they were <laughs> waving it around? I don't want to talk about this. I want to talk about big birds. Okay. So, anyways, Australia. Oh, do you think Big Bird is an emo? <laughs> Do you think an Australian who watches Sesame Street is, you know, licking his lips, looking to collect the bounty? <laughs> Crocky, let's catch that bird, mate. 
That's why we started with this one because <laughs> the other ones aren't as funny. <laughs> well, there's some pretty good ones coming yeah, up. Let's get on to some other ones. There's a war called the Football War. Now this this is weird. This is a weird situation because it coincides with the what is it the the 1970 FIFA World Cup qualifier, and there had been some tension in 1969 between the Salv- Salvador and El Salvador and Honduras, where El Salvador launched troops um, in early August, sort of like an invasion. And this was kind of a dirty invasion. I was I was reading about it in here, and it said that they uh, put on a blockout. And um, I just had to say that. And the Salvadorian Air Force used passenger airplanes and strapped bombs on the side of them and targeted Honduras... Um, international airports, which is just horrible. I can't imagine if you were someone traveling yeah. and that happened, right? And then the Salvadorian army uh, launched an offensive assault along the two main roads connecting the nations. And it was just very messy. But it but it started after riots from the aftermath of a football game, right? That's No. That's what, no? No. Um, there, there was... Basically, this tension building up. Um, let me see. Before that, yeah, there yeah, were yeah. there was a lot of a lot of things going into. Um, are these nations actually going to be able to meet and play mm. a, a soccer game? And if you don't know about soccer, there's a lot of qualifying rounds. So it says here that there was fighting between fans during the first game at the Honduran capital of. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Say it. Just botch it. I, I won't correct you. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to say that. Okay. I really am sorry if you're from uh, Honduras. I just, I can't do it. Um, and, and this was in uh, June 8th of 1969. Honduras won 1-0. In the second game, this uh, Salvadorian capital of uh, San Salvador at the San... Uh, in the capital, right, of El Salvador, San Salvador. Uh, the game was won, 3-0. And that left the um, with even, like, greater violence. So it's basically, like, it seems like... I'm trying to... Yeah, Honduras is winning a lot. Mm. And El Salvador is getting their butt kicked in the, at the soccer game. Um, there was a match that played... And El Salvador in, was, the, was the country who flew the passenger... Right, Jets. right. They attacked Honduras as a result of these playoff right, matches. Right, right, right. On uh, June twenty seventh of nineteen sixty nine, there was a playoff match in Mexico City, and um, wow. Okay, I'm sorry. Like I didn't read the build up with this. Jeez, there's like that game didn't happen. It did. Oh, wait said that Honduras had done nothing to prevent murder, oppression, rape, plundering, and max uh, expulsion of the Salvadorians. So, basically, it claimed that the government of Honduras had not taken any effective measure to punish any crime uh, taken against El Salvador's people. Mm -hmm. And um, El Salvador ended up winning the third game and the score was three, two. 
after some extra time. So there's like a lot of rioting between the two nations. I'm sorry, I, I kind of butchered reading that. I had to pause and read. I, was, I don't want to make sure I was getting the facts right over this football war. But this led to an assault, El Salvador attacking um, <coughs> Honduras. And uh, the ceasefire was put through by OAS, uh, which is, what, what does that stand for? Organization of American States. This is an American institution sort of policing the world. It seems, or at least it's uh, headquartered in the United States capital of Washington, D.C. I'm sure it's made up of a bunch of different American nations, kind yeah, of like I a, think it's similar to to NATO, right? In, in that way, keeps. Well, I don't think it exists anymore, but I, I'm not sure, honestly. Um, but but in any case, that that is crazy because, well, to think that a war would start over football riots, but it's also like. A, a lot of people do take that stuff seriously. And if there was like, if there was violence and, you know, and chaos, that's a, that's, that is how wars start. You know, there, there is a certain amount of unpredictability in that. So it's pretty interesting. It seems that there was, of course, a lot of past history between the two nations yeah, definitely. Uh, leading up into a buildup. I have to be honest with you guys. I didn't do enough reading on this specific war. I just thought it was quite interesting that it was called the football war and that this tension was rising between these playoff games in the uh, in these FIFA tournaments. So it seems like in 1962, it had something to do with land reform laws that kind of uh, collided with elite, uh, occupied uh, Salvadorian immigrants who were native born to Honduras. So there, there was some sort of like racial tensions as well. Yeah. Um, um, or I guess. And these nations are right next to each other, right? Yeah. 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 So that, that led up to this kind of burst of violence. Hmm. Quite brutal. I can't believe it's over. I mean, it, it's not because of a football, uh, yeah, a football yeah. game, but it gets that, the soccer war, you know, football yeah. war thing. So. Uh, is also called the Hundred Hour War because it only lasted five days. It was resolved fairly quickly, but not without bloodshed. Mm. Something that did go without bloodshed was the Pig War of eighteen fifty nine. I'm gonna say I don't think this counts as a war, but hey, let's let's keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is kind of a sticky situation at this point in uh, world history. Uh, the United Kingdom was not fully kicked out of America. You need to understand. They owned a island, uh, or or they they had British control over something called the San Juan Islands, which is right between uh, the Vancouver Island and the mainland. And this um, pig episode, or some people say it's the Pig and Potato War, was a bloodless conflict. There's no particular fighting, but it was rising to military tension over the death of one pig. Now, let's talk about this pig who was killed on June 15th of 1859. You know what's weird? Okay, this is kind of a a tangent, but a lot of these wars happen in June. That is an interesting... Summer, man. What else are they doing? They're bored. Makes people crazy. They They don't don't have school. They don't have video (laughs) games, man. They're just sitting there farming. (laughs) Whoever wrote this specific Wikipedia article cracks me up. I'm I'm just going to read it for you, and you can take it at face value. So this happened on June 15th of 1859. Big pet peeve when it comes to writing, even though I can't 
right. But I hate when people put 15 June 1859. It's June 15th. <laughs> and the other thing I hate is that it says June 15, not June 15th for me. Where's the TH at the end of that? Okay. <laughs> Writing dates triggers me. Okay, this is 13 years after the adoption of the Oregon Treaty, which had some ambiguity leading to this direct conflict. There's a guy named uh, Lehman Coulter, who was an American farmer who moved to the San Juan Islands, claiming the rights to live under the Donation Land Claim Act. So he's an American coming over to British-owned territory. Um, Now, I don't know what this Donation Land Claim Act is. Let me see. Something pushed by Congress. Uh, to promote homestead settlers under the Oregon Territory. So uh, this has to do with that Oregon Treaty, which must have been between the U.S. and the British government. Um, This guy, starting his farm, found a large black pig rooting his garden. And he had found this pig eating tubers, which is already a stupid name. They look like potatoes. They're like under parts of plants, okay? Uh, And the, the article says... This was not the first occurrence. Uh, (laughs) Coulter was upset, and he took aim and shot the pig. So this pig was owned by an Irishman, Charles Griffin, who was employed by the Hudson Bay Company to run a sheep ranch there on the San Juan Islands, and he had owned several pigs and allowed them to roam freely. Side note, I don't care how well your dog's trained. Put a freaking leash on that thing, okay? I watch those dogs without a leash. I'm like, that dog is ready to jump in the middle of the street and get hit by a car. <laughs> You're going to feel like a horrible owner if you do that. This guy, good old Charles. He didn't have dogs. He had pigs. Organize your dang pigs. Of course, they're going to be hungry running around. Did he have more than just this one? Yeah. He said he had multiple. Oh. He owned several pigs and allowed them to roam freely. <laughs> now, these two farmers usually uh, lived in peace until this incident. Good Lord. And uh, Coulter, the American farmer, offered $10 to Griffin to compensate for the pig. But Griffin was an unsatisfied Irishman and off and wanted $100 for the pig. <laughs> um, Must have got ripped off by that little piglet, I'll tell you that. Um, no, he was slighted. Somebody shot my pig. <laughs> what are you, you going to do about shot that? Shot your pig that you didn't have a leash on and let roam into someone else's farm, yeah. idiot. Mm. Okay, so... As a result, Coulter said he shouldn't have to pay for the stupid pig because it was trespassing on his land. Now, there's a word that I can't read, Cameron, and I said it earlier. Uh, It's a story. Uh, Apocryphal. Apocryphal. So this is, what does that mean? An apocryphal story is something that is like generally considered not super canon, but is often told along along with the normal story. Which sounds perfect for a podcast. So apparently... Coulter said to Griffin, it was eating my potatoes. And Griffin said, it's up to you to keep your potatoes out of my pig. <laughs> now that is some good old 1859 sass, if you ask me. That's true. So what happened was that British authorities threatened to arrest Coulter, who was an American settler. And he wanted American military protection. And this led to a milica- uh, military escalation, obviously, between... Um, the two nations and of course the higher-ups didn't know that this was building up to something big until um, <clears throat> it seems like until September so all the way through uh, US President James Buchanan and General Winfield Scott negotiated with Governor Douglas to resolve this growing crisis um, so there was no bloodshed of course but 
they ran back to their armies and authorities and were like, hey, hey, like, I'm a citizen, protect me. And you can understand how that would kind of escalate into something bigger and bigger and bigger. And so that's the story of the one pig who almost started a war wow. in 1859. Thank goodness it went up to the higher-ups and they're like, holy crap, people you are going to start shooting each other over nothing. <laughs> if you think about it, though, the, the Hatfields and McCoys, it's often said that uh, that was started over someone killing a pig. I don't know what this... What are you talking the about? The Hatfields and McCoys. They're no. like a famous feud um, in, in American history. They're like two families who would who would just kill each other, um, specifically because one family, I can't remember who, killed a pig. Um, oh, my gosh. And then, and then they killed... Uh, one of the family, one of the other family members, and then they killed one of the other family where, where members. Where is this? Where is it? well, like what location? Oh, I think like Mississippi or something. I'll look Holy it up. crap! Okay, so if you don't know, I'm a big nerd. I've been playing Red Dead Two, and this is like I guess not really spoilers, but there's a section of the well, game West Virginia and Kentucky. Ex- yep, there's a section in the game where you're in the middle of the Deep South, and there's this town that has a blood feud between two families. Yeah. The, the the Graves and the Braithwaites. Yeah, it's probably based on this. It legit is like the same exact story. Yeah. That's yeah. what you're telling me about. Yeah. Um It's like a it's a very famous like feud. Well, that's cool. I mean the more so here's the thing though. Like I keep talking to Cameron about Red Dead and he's so sick of it. But I keep playing this game, and I'm like, dude, this game is written like real history. Yeah. And then you say stuff like that and I'm like this game is like so smart. It is so stupid smart, and I could see how a lot of people find it boring. But for someone like me who's doing a podcast about historical wars, it's my kind of game. <laughs> All right, let me tell you. Dang, up your, it's up your alley. So those are the weird ones I have for you, folks. Cameron, you want to get into a war real quick, and then we'll get into some short war, long war stuff. Yeah, we could we could do. Um, well, okay. So one of the wars that I wanted to cover that kind of ties along with the short war, long war thing. Um, is the what's known as the Six Days War, um, which is obviously a very, very short conflict uh, between Israel and Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, and Syria. Year so, time. Give me the, the time frame. Uh, this was in uh, 1967. It lasted from June 5th to June 10th um, in 1967. Um, and essentially what happened was, uh, the Egyptian, the Egyptian president at the time, um, well, okay. So a lot of this story is about confusion and miscommunication <laughs> for the six day war. Yes. Um, so the Egyptian president was given false Soviet, um, intelligence that Israel was moving troops to, to the Egyptian border. Um, that wasn't actually happening, but, uh, as a response, he moved, uh, his name is Gamal Abdel Nasir. This is the Egyptian president. He moved um, Egyptian troops to the border and he closed off what's called the uh, Straits of Tehran, which are um, essentially very important shipping, uh, a shipping route. That's what I figured. To get to Israel. And so this was um, in direct violation of a 1956 agreement after a war, a previous war. Um, between uh, between Egypt and Israel to keep and that straight open. This is the heart of the Cold War as well. Yeah. So yeah. So Soviet influence on Egypt sprung another conflict, of course. Yes, so. but it was also it wasn't just Egypt. It was it was um, it was Iraq at the time. They had presence in in Syria, I believe, as well. Um, so they were, they had their hands in this war, but it was mainly, it wasn't mainly about the Soviets. It was, it was mostly about, 
um, Arab and Israeli tensions. Okay, um, I gotcha. And so this, um, because they closed the Straits of Tehran, um, Israel led an air campaign against Egypt's air force, essentially neutering it entirely. They, okay. they destroyed the, the Egyptian air force. Um, is this like ace combat status or? Yeah. I mean, yeah, basically Jeez, just dogfighting for well, six days. No, no. So they, so they bombed, they did a bombing run of okay, the okay. Egyptian air force. And at the time Egypt wasn't, wasn't really, um, set up in their air force very well. So mm-hmm. they, they didn't have that much protection against an air attack like that. So, uh, because of this, so there was a bit of, a bit more confusion from Nasir. He thought that the damage wasn't that bad. And so he encouraged, um, uh, Syria, Iraq, and Jordan to join him in a counterattack. Um, or so-called ta- counterattack. I don't know. It's kind of unclear whether or not who was the initial aggressor because there's conflicting reports. Okay. Um, but because of this, uh, he wasn't prepared for uh, an all-out assault, um, and so th- he had a ca- he had a, a. So wait, wait, back up a bit because I lost you. Okay. Who is organizing? Alliances to fight who? This is the Egyptian president. Is um, organizing alliances after the airstrikes by Israel. Yes. To, to assault. To attack Israel. Got it. Um, and Egypt had a pact um, with Syria, Iraq, and Jordan. A war pact, essentially. Um, and so because of this, all four of them attacked. And, and you have to imagine that these are all of the bordering nations of Israel. So all four of them are now attacking Israel. At the same time. <laughs> At the same time, yeah. And this turned out to be a really, really bad idea <laughs> for the bordering nations. Really? Yes. Because um, they ha- Israel now had air superiority oh, over and the, the entire strike. area. Because the other nations didn't have a strong air force either, and yes. Egypt... Egypt was their best chance anyways yes. in the air superiority. Yes. Oh my gosh. So they were able to um they were able to have an advantage on all four fronts. All four of the of the countries who are who are attacking. Yikes. And this in 6 days they doubled Israel doubled their their land that they had. Um Yikes. because they let a they let a direct assault into Egypt. Um, and conquered, you know, surrounding southern territory. So, and Israel is not a place to mess with. No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. They are kind of a scary place, in my opinion, because they're so small and yet extremely powerful, almost underdog-like. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, that it's very weird. I've I've never even heard of this war. Yeah. So and that it was in 1960. 1967. Yeah. What the heck? Yep. This is wild. Yeah, and uh, what I mean, what's crazy about it is it is it really was an underdog war because there had been there had been conflicts. Um, I mean, literally since 1948, which was the establishment of Israel, there had been conflicts with all four of those neighboring nations. Hey, news trying flash. to attack them. There have been conflicts in that area since forever yeah no that's true (laughs) it's just interesting that israel as a nation is attacked on all four fronts at the same time yeah and ends up winning double back the land yeah pretty pretty impressive that's like some board game risk stuff (laughs) 
That's like some lucky rolls, if you tell me. I mean, yeah. So part of it was strategy. Part of it was, I mean, so one of the one of the controversies about this war is whether or not it was a um, it was a justified war um, because of the nature of the pre- preemptive strike, is what Israel called it. It's just like. Makarov said in Modern Warfare 3 <laughs> all warfare is based on deception okay uh, yeah I guess so if Modern Warfare 3 got one thing right it was that <laughs> yeah and that's literally true. that's that's the case something that was a little bit more clean cut and shorter this is actually the shortest war in all of history is the Anglio Zanzibar War which is between the Zanzibar Sultanate on the uh, and and this is an island in the Indian Ocean, and the UK, and it lasted thirty-eight to forty-five minutes. Oof. And the result, or or I mean, the cause of this was the death of the pro-British or <laughs> the pro-British uh, Sultan Hamad bin uh, Thuwani, who died on August twenty-fifth of nineteen uh, or eighteen ninety-six, and he died at eleven forty ETA. Um. <clears throat> so here's what was going on in this situation. All right, the UK was in an imperialistic state over this island, and so they had a lot of say in who was in charge, the Sultan. Now Hamad was in the pocket with British, and they they liked him, but he died really quickly, and it was almost theorized that his 29 year old nephew Khalid bin uh, Bargash, the uh, failed hero of this tragic story you're doing a good job with these names uh was suspected by his assassination because uh bargash moved instantly into the palace after his um his uncle because he's his nephew right yeah yeah after his uncle died quickly now the british did not approve him becoming the next sultan right as a matter of fact they actually they preferred uh hamad bin muhammad who was basically in the British pocket. He was really favorable towards them, and they knew they could trust him in the position. So uh, Great Britain sent, um, what is it, Bargash, an ultimatum saying that they want to put a certain person in power instead of him, and they demanded that he would follow um, their orders and stand down from the palace. Instead, Khalid... um, went up to his palace, called all the guards to barricade himself inside the palace, and he wanted to declare war on the British army. So he had he was like, fortify, we are going to hold them off. <laughs> so the ultimatum, um, yeah, it, th- th- this is what happened. A bunch of cruisers, three cruisers showed up, two gunboats, 150 marines, and 900 Zanzibaris. Zanzibaris. Uh, were ready to go because you know Great Britain had some of the people under his rule. Uh, oppositely, the um, the let's see who was it. Oppositely, you know, uh, Khalid had um some of the natives with him as well. Yeah, guarding uh the palace along with his own personal guard and a a small number of people. It was around uh two thousand. Do you know how many were fighting against the British army? 2,800 Zanzibaris defended the palace. Most of them were uh, civilian population. There was a lot of, I was reading, there's a lot of tension between imperialistic rule. You know, when I hear imperial, I think Star Wars, and that's not a horrible connection to it. You think about 
um, imperial rule in that situation where the people are being ruled under basically hard oppression and basically ideal, right? Britain is forcing their way of life on top of this. This situation, this war basically ended Zanzibar's culture yeah, because of yeah. this, right? Yeah, I said. Um, and we'll get to why. So they had the they had the upper number with the amount of men defending the palace. And um, let's see, what else did they have? They had a, a bunch of different artillery pieces and some machine guns were sent at the front of the palace, uh, aimed right at British ships. But the battle begins at 9.02, and um, the, palace was disa- uh, the, the palace artillery was disabled by the naval forces of the British. And the British uh, Navy also sunk some Zanzibar ships, including the, the Royal Yacht the HHS Glasgow interesting name kind of a historical name as well um and the the flag at the palace was shot down at 9:40 and all of it ceased basically um the sultan's forces roughly estimated around 500 casualties out of those 2800 men so not too bad but well, on the opposite no i mean that's a lot that's like a quarter of, of you the, know uh you know men. but the, the the british um they only had one soldier injured in the entire fight oh. so they really didn't stand a chance I, I think they were just out outplayed and out um fought in yeah. in that situation so uh khalid received asylum in a german consulate before escaping to the uh, german east africa and the British basically quickly put in Hamad into power. Uh, he was the head of a puppet government. Puppet government, and um, at that point, there was just heavy British influence, and that became under deep British rule. Yeah. So that's the story of the shortest war, kind of Hamlet esque. I I don't know why I think of it in that light. If Hamlet-esque. he actually did kill the uh, the consulate, is that right? It's yeah, not, yeah, the the uncle. Yeah, he killed his uncle and then tried to defend the palace from British rule. And that is pretty interesting. I mean, what a what a move. <laughs> it did not last long. There was a lot of other notes saying that his his counsel said, "Dude, this is a bad idea," and <laughs> he did not listen. Uh, it's too bad he didn't somehow negotiate with Great Britain to get on their good side and keep the throne. But yeah, he yeah. wanted to go out strong. There's pictures of the palace as well, just ripped to shreds. Oof just destroyed um, by Great Britain. So, I mean, they, they had them under that rule anyways. There was, yeah, there was a lot of weird notes about the, the buildup in that war as well. A clash of culture, you could say, uh, between Britain's imperial rule and what was going on with Zanzibar. That's the name of the island, right? Yeah, yeah. Zanzibar. Very cool name as well. Um, but, yeah, kind of a sad 40-minute war. Mm. That is the shortest war. Pretty depressing. You got something for me, Cameron? What's up next on your list? Yeah, well, I've got a couple, I would say, honorable mentions, things that I didn't spend too much time like doing deep research, but I think um, are interesting wars and things that people should know more about. Um, okay. One is the War of 1812, which is, I think, one of my personal favorite, like, unknown wars like sleeper wars you know <laughs> i think when you say it most people understand and we were talking earlier before we started recording the show i have misquoted the war of 1812 i'm almost certain on this podcast as being the same war 
as the French Indian War, which it's not, or comparing the two at the same time. Yeah, they are not the same. French no. Indian War is a Seven Years' War. Is that correct? Yes. So the French Indian War was a precursor to um, the American Revolution. Essentially, what it so the the revolution was a response to taxes um, that were raised because of the Seven Years' War. And the Fre- uh, the Seven Years' War is where the French tamed up with Native Americans as well. Um, and the British fought alongside yes. settlers. Yes. I believe that's what happened. We didn't do the hard research, but I, I think that I was my reading. I can't remember. Yeah, I think the French did um, team up with certain Native American, uh, Native tribes. American tribes. But the, yeah. but so did so did the English settlers. Yeah. Um, but in any case, uh, the War of 1812, also known as the Second War of Independence, was really is really interesting to me because... It started over, um, well, basically what was um, a conflict between France and Britain, um, the, the Napoleonic Wars um, had, had been started. And this led to a huge ramp up in the British Navy because um, essentially they, were, they needed more men um, for, for, to, fight the, to fight France. Um, and so... Because of this, they started kidnapping um, American sailors um, oh. who were on, tra- uh, like you know, going back and forth to Britain. Right, right. Um, and so they would kidnap these sailors and force them to to serve in the in the British Navy. Um, and obviously, um, America was not super happy about that. Uh, and so what they what they did was they started they they started essentially a naval war where. America was like a huge underdog in this um, because they didn't have, they obviously did not have the the strength of um, the British Navy. But most of the British Navy was occupied in um, in in the Napoleonic Wars at the time. So basically, what it en- what ended up happening was they tried to revert it to a ground war. America tried to revert it to a ground war by invading Canada. Although there was a guy who um, who ended up giving a large amount of documents. It was accidental. He accidentally gave a large amount of documents to a British fort because he was going on a certain trade route um, and he he was captured by, by the British and he had basically the, the entire plan for the, for the Canadian assault. So that didn't end up so well. Uh, the British ended up burning down our, our capital. Uh, not so good. Um, but we ended up, well, you know, peacefully sort of yeah. ending that one. There's something interesting when, when you said that the Americans were the underdogs. In terms of Navy power, yes. And that's why we moved it to a ground yes. war. Yeah. These are some numbers on British naval frigates. They were at 34 and other vessels 52. And then compared to the U.S., they were at 12 frigates and 14. So yeah. quite a huge difference. As uh, it, um, In comparison, the militia of of uh, the United States was at 458,000 yeah. uh, approximately with our army at the beginning of the war seven, uh, being 7,000 members and at the end 35,000 um, compared the British army starting with 5,200, obviously at the war's end, 48,160. They pulled in more troops, of yeah, course. Yeah, well, one of, one of the big reasons was um, they actually got a, a lot of 
Canadian volunteers. So so essentially Canada didn't exist at this time. It was called British Columbia. Yeah. Um, and so they, but I'm going to keep referring to it as Canada. Um, they they gained a bunch of um, Canadian volunteers uh, to help fight because they didn't have they didn't have a strong British presence in British Columbia at the time. So, yeah, pretty interesting war. I I like it. I think it's fascinating, and it kind of just like boil it. It just like bubbled down. It didn't really end climactically. Well, this is this is what the wiki is saying. Obviously. In this situation, Britain now has to deal with fighting America and France, and France at the same time. Yeah. So it says that in Britain, there was a mounting opposition during the wartime because of the taxation and many merchants demanded to reopen trade in America. I don't know yeah. if you already mentioned this. No. So one of, yeah, one of the big reasons why um, the war was started as well was um, there was... America was trying to trade with both France and Britain during the war, and Britain didn't like that and said... If you're trading with France, you can, you can't trade with us. So they blockaded, um, they blockaded British or they blockaded American trade ships. Yes, and this happened after the abduction of Napoleon, which sort of ceased the end of uh, fighting between France and Britain with their leader gone. Um, and then it says it brings into this uh, blockade section. Um, peace negotiations began in 1814, and uh, were signed by December 24th. Gee. I would say it's not a very well named war. I think it, I think we should elect to rename it. Yeah, the the War of eighteen twelve doesn't make you realize that it's more of the um Britain Great Britain fighting France and then also pissing off America to have to fight a ground war in North America. Yeah. That's what's going on. Yeah. Very very interesting. I, when I thought of the War of eighteen twelve, I do remember the sailors being captured at and that triggering um fighting between the now United States. I was going to say the colonies. Yeah. And uh, Great Britain. But I forgot about Napoleon. Yeah. Well, and you have to think this... America had only been um, founded at this point for, for 20 years, 20, 20 or so years. Um, and so... That's why it's called the Second War of Independence. Yeah. Right? So... I And many, many saw it like that. Saw it like if we lose this war, we're... Going back to Britain, essentially. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know that the trade blockades had screwed America over before. Yeah, right? well, they were also in huge amounts of debt because of, still because of the the revolution. And the Brits war. still haven't forgiven it. They still look down on us. Colonists. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's all good. It's okay. We've been to the moon. <laughs> oh, snap. Wait, has, has Britain not been to the moon? No, nobody's been to the moon except for us. That cannot be true. Yeah, it's true. Are you serious? Yeah, You're blowing serious. my mind right now. Yeah, nobody's been to the, nobody but us. Really? We're number one. We're number one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are an obnoxious American. Yeah. Well, I do have one more war. Let's get. We will save your last war. How long is that one? The oh yeah, I mean we. Well, I was gonna have an honorable mention war. As a last one? No, I have a one. I have one like real one. Too. Okay, give it to us. <laughs> give the, the honor, real honor, one. Honorable honor. mention. Okay, so one of the one of my most fascinating wars that I have read into is the Spanish Civil War, um, and this happened between 1936 and 1939. Um, it was essentially um, communists versus nationalists um, in Spain. 
and there was um, lots of violence, lots of bloodshed, but basically what ended up happening, and I won't get too into um, the details of it, um, it's similar to uh, sort of some of the political tensions right now where, where, you know, communist factions are calling everybody else Nazis and, uh, you know, depending on who you see, you know, where you're seeing from, they weren't calling people Nazis, but essentially they were saying, um, you know, these people are right-wing factionalists. They're, um, you know, trying to oppress people and whatnot. The communists were saying that. Cameron, to the are nationalists. you saying that history repeats itself? No, I'm saying it rhymes. Um, oh. <laughs> that is a very Cameron Tuttle thing to say. Yeah. So, um, so basically, th- there was there was lots of violence and bloodshed um, in in Spain, like huge amounts of political chaos. Um, and what I find really interesting about it is um, there actually was a semi-successful um, uh, anarcho-communist. Um, outcome from this really and i say semi-successful because it obviously didn't last very very long but it was in catalonia um there was an anarchist um you wouldn't call it a state i guess but anarchists took over catalonia um and they ran things in an anarcho-communist fashion and it is often looked at as one of the only examples of something like this quote unquote working because it didn't actually work because anarchism doesn't work. But yeah, I just find it really interesting. It's a, it's a good war. Yeah. I it's don't, like extreme left wing and extreme right wing um, fighting each other. I wanted to mention when it comes to Spain and France, I don't know much about their history. Yeah. They are, I don't, I think being American, we are just taught about the conflict between the U S and Britain as being a big point yeah contention now there there is france's involvement spain seemed to kind of gravitate more towards south america so i'm sure that there's more of a educational side to learning about spain's culture with south american i mean there 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 is that language connection as well and i think language has a big part of what you do with history but that's something i want to look into to tell you the truth i've never been very fond of french um history at all but there there are like the french revolution no I think it's so stupid. Really? I think it's so stupid. I think, yeah. I think I, it's a really fascinating part of history. Well, sure, it's interesting. I'm just like, these guys aren't very smart. No, they. I mean, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say they're not smart. I'm just going to say, as far as revolutions go, the American Revolution has yet to be topped. Well, that's certainly true. Undoubtedly true. I want to go on a tangent, another tangent. Okay. Just to a quick side. Now, you're comparing these political tensions between two sides, and we don't usually get political on this show, but surprise attack, Cameron and I like history. Of course, we talk about politics all the freaking time. Yeah. Okay? So, I don't mean to preach to you. I'm not trying to do anything. Decide for yourself, okay? But something I've been hearing a lot is that this episode is is recorded in the time of the government shutdown in, in the United States, and I have some family members who are affected by this. They do work for the government, and they're quite angry. Um, but one thing that I continually hear all the time is that we have never had a president like Donald Trump before. Okay. <laughs> this is not true at all. Okay. I have pulled up an art, uh, a, um, article from the Hill. 
I don't know if you know what the hill is. Yeah. I, I think it's a reputable source. Well, yeah. Probably, eh, maybe. Yeah, um, but what really. but what they're saying is that history repeats itself in this article. We all know how much Isaac likes talking about Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt, although I might be wrong about talking about him all the time, has a lot of similarities to Donald Trump. I would say that's that's fairly accurate. It, yeah. it is, according to this. Would you like me to read some comparisons? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. They're born in New York City. Uh, they well, that's... F- <laughs> <laughs> graduated from prestigious Ivy League colleges. Fairly egotistical. Known for being extremely vain. They both write books. That's a stupid thing to say. <laughs> um, shooting big game animals was considered fun for their family. <laughs> oh, God. That's random. Um, they... Th- something that... I think was interesting is they decided to be Republican, even though New York city was normally decided to be democratic, which is an interesting, um, correlation, uh, decided to run for public office in the GOP establishment, uh, as a result, duh. Um, yeah. And they were known as high energy and disruptive. Um, a lot of people look back on Teddy Roosevelt and this is my favorite thing to say about him. They all say, Gee whiz, I've watched Night at the Museum. (laughs) I love Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know anybody who says that. He was a great guy. And I was like, you've never read history, have you? Walk softly with a big stick. Isolationist policeman, okay? Pro-America all the time. He was the first Make America Great Again. So, he sort of was. Don't be surprised if you read some history you'll realize that things do repeat over and over again. So are you saying Donald Trump is going to be beloved? In 50 years, <laughs> I would not be surprised. I've always said that if he gets assassinated, people he'll be beloved. Yeah. For sure. That's enough. I mean, and you have any last thoughts? I'm sorry if you're like, I am done hearing about the president. <laughs> I just had to say something. I'm tired of hearing that. I just was like, dude, there are there are comparisons to him. He is not some strange yeah, yeah. anomaly. Yes, he has well, unique parts about his campaign and his policy. And of course, we don't know how the historical outlook is going to be 20, 50, 100 years from now on his presidency. But at the same time, people are talking about him as if he is either the worst uh, carnation of all creation of this time or the the newest like most craziest coolest thing that's ever happened I'm just like dude there are similarities to what we've seen before yeah yeah I yeah I, I mean I think I think that's accurate I think I mean just like Teddy Roosevelt I, I have large disagreements with with Donald Trump but I think he's um, I don't know I don't know yeah. Anyways, there's a there's a lot to talk about with him. I I know you and I usually do a conversational step back and kind of I don't know, we we usually look at whatever's going on politically Cameron and I and we just discuss the devil's advocate and also yeah. pro for for everything. Yeah, usually. well, I think it I think it definitely keeps us sort of in um able to be objective about certain things. And I would hope that it would make it bearable for you to listen to this. Yeah. But this is about wars, and although you might think uh, Donald Trump's we're current... in Civil War <laughs> Part Two, <laughs> although you might think that this is a war, we're going to get back on track with some history. 
Um, before you get to your final war, Cameron, we're coming up on 54 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'd like to mention some hit, uh, the longest wars. The longest war is um, Iberian religious wars. Uh, you notice that they say wars because this is something that happened over a long stretch of time and it wasn't specific to one battle. Um, most wars aren't, unlike the shortest war, which was just one fight. But this happened from uh, the year 711 to 1492 and it spanned over 781 years in the Iberian Peninsula uh, which is like think Spain Portugal yeah and so this is this includes the Crusades no it doesn't not exactly this was labeled by the Catholic Church as a holy war and it was a long series of battles between Christian kingdoms and the Muslim Moors. So, yeah, that's why it was labeled a holy war. But it started um, when the Moors crossed the Mediterranean Sea and made an advance into Europe. And they began to claim territory as they went along. And there was a battle at Cavadonga in 1718, uh, which launched something called Reconquista, which was led by a Christian king uh, named uh Paleo of Visgoths. Um, at this point, they began to push uh, the, the Muslim Moors back further from where they came. And the Catholic Church recognized this war as a holy war. And they participated in, I'm, I'm assuming, funding and leadership to some degree, right? And by the 1400s, the Moors only had a few territories under their rule in the peninsula. And a marriage between the king... Uh, king uh, Ferdinand of Aragon and Queen Isabella I of Castile marked the beginning of the end of the war against the Moors. Uh, the recapture of Granada in 1492 sealed the deal for that whole situation. And that is the story of the longest war. So kind of like the Moors came into the peninsula, began yeah. to capture and, and get up, make their advance towards Britain till a king realized, hey, what the heck? Pushed them all the way back over this long time period. It just... But the... But the the pushback was the Crusades. What is what is considered the Crusades? 10, uh, 1096, I think. Is, it it is was at Crusades. least included yeah. in it. Um, I don't know if it's the only section of it. No, no, no. It, no. Is, yeah. a, it well, is a Crusade. Th- yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It's like part like what is commonly known as the Crusades um, is a part of this larger war. From what I read, it didn't seem that it was initial that it was a considered a crusade. Instead, halfway through, there, the Catholic Church is like, "Hey, we recognize this is another yeah, one yeah, of these yeah. uh, crusades, and we're going to begin to fund it." So, um, just long and and treacherous. Nothing too funny about that one. The reason I'm reading these longest wars is for slot number three. So we're going to get to that in a sec. Slot uh, slot number two is the Persian Roman War. Now th- you got to compare the Roman Empire with the Persian Empire, and this was between 92 BCE and uh, 629, I don't know why I said it that way, CE. It was a total of 721 years between these two empires, which were fighting at a border, um, and they basically just fought back and forth endlessly at this just border. Just on, you said like three towns? Yeah, that, that's what the article said. Um, it said it began when the Roman Republic began to battle the Parthenians, and they later be, uh, began to battle the Iranian Empire at the same time. So the nations kind of were separately independent 
it was just ransacked between these three towns. They would push up and push back, push up and push back for 721 years. <laughs> it seems <laughs> a long time. Being an economist, this drained both nations heavily because there was no conclusion. They would just constantly fight back and forth. They no, and either side didn't want to give up, and it began to. Um, become an economic burden which eventually led to Arab Muslims in uh, the Arab Muslim invasion in 692 a or 629 CE I don't know why that number is hard and this ended that battle constantly because basically the Arab Muslim invasion could easily crush the Romans and no no, no it was the Persians or, or the Persians the, the, the Persian Empire right well it said it also also the Romans it also in, it also affected the Romans because they were economically the drained they could only push so many so much funding and forces yeah, yeah, yeah. onto that fight over and over again hmm. um so yeah they, it was basically they were just waiting to get struck down yeah um so yeah that one was pretty long but this one is is the funny one this is the Dutch Sicily War of 1651 all the way up to 1986 which is a 355 year period to the modern times, you'd say, 1986. Um, so here's the story. The Dutch were longtime allies of England. And during the, what is it, the British, or the, the English Civil War, there was this tension between, you were saying, the Royalists and yeah. the Parliament. The parla- Parliamentarians. Yeah, the Parliamentarians. So basically, if you'll think, these are like two rivaling governments in England at the time. Uh, one was backing the king and one was backing parliament um, or, you know, the more democratic option. And this is in uh, 1651. So what happened is that these royalists were eventually pushed out to the island of Sicily. They had no money. They essentially had lost their fight in 1651. And the Dutch were pretty upset um, at the Royalists, and the Royalists were upset at the Dutch. See, the Dutch had suffered Comrade's loss at the hand of the Royalists and decided they were going to teach them a lesson by sending naval troops over to threaten the Royalists in the islands of Sicily. And orders were given by this Dutch commander, Trump, to declare war. Uh, Now, Trump is a descendant of Donald Trump, uh, or the opposite, or no, he wasn't. Predecessor? Predecessor. he, He wasn't, though. It's Donald Trump reincarnated as Trump. Trump is back. <laughs> T, just for clarification, T-R-O-M-P, correct? T-R-O-M-P, yes. Okay. Uh, he was told to declare History war... History repeats <laughs> he, was to, he was told to declare war on the royalists if they did not cough up any money for the Dutch. And um, as most say the story, um, the most common story that comes out of this is that the, uh, the royalists refused to pay the money, forcing... Uh, Trump to declare war, but basically, Trump realized that the Royalist forces were pathetic. Uh, there was no point in fighting them. They had nothing left. They had no money. So he just withdrew his pursuit of the engagement and returned without any fighting taking place in the first place. He was like, "This isn't even worth it. We're not gonna get anything out of this because they have nothing left." Um, the Royalists very soon after surrendered to Parliament. So this wasn't. At the, the the war had not completely concluded. The English Civil War hadn't. The, the English Civil War had not concluded, um, but the Dutch 
basically forgot that they had declared war for three <laughs> centuries. <laughs> they were at war uh, <laughs> with Sicily and they didn't even realize. And so there's this historian named Roy Duncan who basically stumbled upon these footnotes about Sicily um, and he invited a Dutch ambassador to Great Britain to visit uh, Sicily and negotiate an ar- armistice. Uh, the peace treaty was signed in April 17th of 1986 and that ended the phony war between the Dutch and the Sicily Islands. Some war though, you know, a lot of history behind it, but nothing happened and good old Trump decided that he wasn't going to attack for no money, you know? (laughs) Oh, it's not even worth it. Now Trump left to start a farm to grow cows on trees which then later became the same cows to be killed by Trump to start Trump steaks. <laughs> All of that was a lie, just by the way. Not Who the, knows? This not whole the podcast of history could have been a whole lie. We're just making it up we're just, as we go. We're just pulling it right out of our butts. Okay, do you want to hit the last war? Dude, we're on an hour and four, but I always forget how fun it is to talk on microphones for yeah, way too long. See, so one of my one of my all time favorite wars um, that nobody knows about, nobody's ever heard about. I mean, people have heard about, but people don't know what happened. Um, is the Russian Civil War? Um, this happened in from 1917 to 1923, um, and it was what gave rise to the Soviet Union. Um, so before the Soviet Union, uh, there was um, basically a monarchy uh it was czar nicholas ii um was the czar of of russia and he well everybody hated him first of all um one of the reasons was he um he wasn't a very good leader and he made a lot of military blunders in world war one so this this was concurrent with world war one okay um because that that happened from 1914 to 1918 um and so he was kind of considered incompetent, um, useless, and sort of a distant autocrat, which means sort of like dictator. Um, people just didn't like him because he was seen as very distant from the rest of the population. And one of the uh, w- w- one of the reasons why he was uh, considered so distant was um, he had a very mysterious advisor. Uh, named Rasputin, and you know who Rasputin is. Oh, I do. Um, he, well, anyways, I don't want to get too too far into this tangent, but he was, people saw him as like a wizard, sort yeah, of. Yeah, what's, I, the the name rings a bell, and I picture his weird drawn beard from my history textbooks. Yeah, you know. Um, I'm going to look, I'm going to look him up real quick, but we don't have seen, to spend too much time. If you've seen that movie Anastasia, he's like the main bad guy. Um, but in any case. Oh, uh, I'm thinking of Rasputin from Rasputin Music. No, 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 no. He was Ra- a Russian mystic and self-proclaimed holy man. Yes. Um, he apparently did a bunch of different miracles, but a lot of people... Miracles. He didn't really. Yeah. Um, it seems like... Pe- people really hated him. He was a close advisor to Nicholas II. I just picture Grima Wormtongue. Yeah, bas- basically, basically. Um, he has a really... F- um, not funny, but really interesting execution story, actually. If you want me to get into that later, I can. Um, but basically, um, 
because of the civil unrest that happened in at this time, um, communist factions started popping up around Russia. And what this what this caused was sort of a social revolution in Russia as a um, backlash against the the political chaos that was that was happening at the time. And so um, the Tsar abdicated his throne in, I think, February of 1917. And then there was a provisional government that was set up. This provisional government was very weak, had absolutely no power, didn't have an army or anything, uh, basically just a police force. And so in October, um, uh, Vladimir Lenin and his coalition of other communists um, stormed into where this provisional government was and took over the whole thing. And so um, essentially what happened was uh, Lenin being sort of a, a, a dictatorial leader in, in the way that he was, mm-hmm. he, um, he started to uh, round up and execute the other communist factions um, that were happening alongside of taking over the provisional government. He, ho- he held these mock elections um, that weren't really elections because he didn't, he, he, he didn't win most of the vote. Um, but and he did. Well, Isn't that right? Uh, yeah. He, well, no, he, he actually didn't. He actually didn't win the majority of the vote, but he declared himself the, <laughs> the, he, he declared the Bolsheviks, the political leaders. And so um, this led to what is known as the Red Terror, um, which was essentially a um, the killing of different communist and counter-revolutionary factors, um, factions. So I say counter-revolutionary in air quotes because um, basically anybody who disagreed with Lenin was, was counter-revolutionary, right, obviously. Right. Even if they shared the same communist yeah, ideas. Yeah, many of them were communists. Um, but because they weren't the right kind of communists or because they basically it was just because they pissed off Lenin. Right. Um, and so they were, they were rounded up and shot and uh, over a hundred thousand people died in, in this, um, red terror. Uh, now not to be outdone, um, the rivaling faction, a, a rivaling faction started growing. This was essentially people who hated Bolsheviks. So it was former, uh, SR, so Soviet republics, um, who had denounced um, or escaped from the Red Terror. Um, it was nationalists, monarchists, uh, republicans, people who basically, it was a loose coalition of people who disagreed about a lot of things um, and who essentially agreed on only one thing, which is that Lenin and and the communists were not very good. <laughs> right, right. They did not want uh, Lenin to be in control of the government. And so they they put together a white army um, and not to be outdone by the, the red terror, they had their own white terror. Um, where <laughs> Why they, is everyone terror? They ended up killing um, another hundred or so thousand people. Um, mostly at this point, it was um, Jews and ethnic minorities. Um, because uh, they were suspected of being communists. Um, so also not, not so good. But um, at that point, it broke out into full-on civil war all across, of, all across Russia. And y- you have to imagine Russia is a huge, huge geographical area. Right, it's massive. So, so there, were, there were small armies and fights 
building up in many, many different areas of Russia um, and different countries built up. And I say countries because they, they really didn't last for very long, uh, but different counter, um, like counter Soviet countries started popping up in these, um, in these areas like, like Romania and Georgia and places like that um, until Lenin essentially stomped them all out. So, yeah. um, And this is, this is what led to, to the rise of the Soviet Union as, um, as a power. And after this, they, they, they led into, it led into a lot of other problems. Um, but they didn't become a world power until World War Two, Right. Um, and this is a revolutionary war that is quite different than the, the um, United States Revolution. Yes, very different. Obviously. I mean, as you're going over this, Much this more is dark. like... Just the fact that they have events called terror, white terror and red terror, right? Yeah, yeah. This is just straight up like half genocide. Yeah, it it was. I mean, it it led to even more genocide. But ba- basically, I mean, well, the communists hated people who owned land um, or anybody who wasn't a communist, and so they just killed them all. You know, like they 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 had no um, anybody who was suspected of being. Um, being loyal to the mo- the monarchy, being loyal to counter-revolutionary movements, being in a different communist party, they were all they were all dying. It was just a big clustered death. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah, it, was it was pretty terrifying. And why? This is just one of your favorite stories, huh? Yeah, it is. How come? Um. Well, a lot of different things. It, I think one of the most interesting parts of it is how a leader like Lenin ascends to power. Um, how sort of a this vacuum and this provisional government led to an all-out communist dictatorship in um, in in Russia. I think that's that's the most interesting part about it, and also the things that people will do for power. I think it's weird because this story kind of falls on hardened ears, if that makes sense for me. I've heard the story of the Russian Revolution before, and I think a lot of people kind of glaze over it. But I hope while you're describing it just briefly, it's quite frank how bloodthirsty this revolution is. and well, how everybody was. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's almost like self-destructive at the same time. Because you look yeah. at the American Revolution and there are... From our history textbooks, and I, and I don't know if Russia does this as well, but the lines are drawn pretty clear. Now, I will say that I'm sure there was less of a decision made by colonists because of how horrible Britain had been to the United States, just on a financial level, right? Most people went to the States to avoid the British government. At least that's yeah. how we're sort of taught. Some, some pe- Yeah, some people did. But there's an actual turmoil of whose side am I on and what am I doing? I'm sure there was a lot of people killed who thought they were on the right side who, or who thought they were on the communist side at the same time, you know, yeah. during this Russian revolution. I think it speaks to the power of ideas in general. Yeah, me too. Right? Um, luckily, we're blessed to live in America where we can just freely discuss these ideas. And if you're listening to this somewhere where you don't have those free ideas, that is awful, you know? 
Uh, and there's still places in the world right now where you can't speak or freely think certain ideas all the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say the majority of places in the world, you can't. It's pretty, yeah, it's a serious thing. So it's important to make sure you look back at these events and really understand. We didn't even fully get into the details, but I think that your description of what happened is, it kind of shows the downward, downward spiral. Yeah, well, and also an, there's this ascension to power that is like so, um, it's really terrifying to me because I think, I think people underestimate what other people can do um, to try to get power. So, always finishing let in that, such. Let that be a lesson to y'all. <laughs> in such uh, depressing Cameron fashion. So, and one other thing that might depress you more, actually. Um, <laughs> Wait, there's more. Uh, one. Well, so. I was gonna. I was. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. How mm-hmm. war never changes. Um, <laughs> I think that's half true and half not true because I think war, international war, has absolutely changed. Yes. Um, I don't think there's any way. I don't think anybody can say that war hasn't changed since since World War Two. Um, and I would say now, uh, basically, an all-out ground war between two large countries is pretty much impossible i don't see it happening um what i do see happening is something exactly like this exactly like the russian civil war um and i think i think it's dangerous to think that we are post-war because i think the worst kinds of war the 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 wars where people get killed for having the wrong idea i think that's that's where we're headed yeah, it's, it's dangerous. I mean, a lot of people see the war on terror or terrorism in general as sort of the birthing point of this idea. I don't know how you stop something like that evolving. Obviously, nobody wants nuclear warfare. Not even the nations no. that hold nukes necessarily want that. It's more well, of that's a why. Mexican standoff. And so yeah. it leads us into this situation, right? Um, history repeats itself. So, or as yeah. you like to say. What is it? History echoes? No, history rhymes. History rhymes. This is one of those situations where it does seem quite uncertain, right? But to th- to draw a uh, parallel to the Russian Revolution, I think it is quite smart. Um, at the same time, although Russia is doing some weird stuff right now, I don't know what's going on with Russia. No one knows what's going on with Russia right now. Um, <clears throat> they're kind of getting back on their feet from it. Sort of. I mean, they're still kind of under a dictatorship, so. Yeah, yeah. But I would say they're not communists. So well, that, I, that's helpful. Here, here's something that interests me is that there's this cycle of political ideas throughout mm. history in yeah. most nations, right? I mean, you look at China and they, they were for a while communists and they've sort of cycled into capitalistic mindsets. They're not willing to give up the title, but... When it comes to political ideas, people seem to want change because they're never happy with where they're at. Yeah. Um, and I would say that the people who are trying to enact change through political violence are almost always on the wrong side. And and the, and you can see this um, with the Russian Civil War. I mean, the people who caused all this bloodshed are the people who were not happy with the status quo and said... 
you know, we're going to flip the table and they thought they were really righteous. Um, but I mean, this, this happens on any sort of the political spectrum as well. No, absolutely. I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a political spectrum thing. I think it's, it's just a cycle. Yeah. It's what happens. Nations begin to lean one direction and then they lean the next. Yeah. And it always happens when there is an extreme that goes too far and people aren't happy or they're not happy with the standard of living or the infrastructure of the nation. And then it swings back through either some sort of revolution or some historical event. Right. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty dangerous. I think we should stop all this political polarization. I mean, we gotta, we gotta cool our jets. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's important to discuss and we're not, I hope it's not boring. For whoever's listening to it. Yeah. I, I hope it's not. We're not trying to make any big specific statements. We just, like I said, Cameron and I eat popcorn on the side and watch everything. That's, that's practically tr- that's true. what this show is about. I, it honestly, could, it could honestly be, though, here's, here's, the la- here's the thing I'll say. This is what I will say to close it out. I think that the the only way to stop something like this where different political pa- factions, or, or the Spanish Civil War, where different political factions are ramping up and and killing each other murdering each other the only way to stop something like that is to allow ourselves to talk with one another talk with people who disagree i think that's the only way that that's that stops yeah otherwise i would have killed cameron over gas tax at this point. yeah you would have you would have jumped out of this table stabbed me with my own mic (laughs) you stabbed someone with a mic strangled me with a with a cable (laughs) yeah it's fun to chat it's fun to talk about it no, I, but it's it's not just fun. It's important. It's, it's like impo- it's it, like really the one of the most important things. It's super important. I don't I don't know if this is true for you, Cameron, but I love talking about history or politics with just anyone, yeah. anyone random. There are people who disagree with me heavily that I extremely enjoy talking to on a regular basis. Um, someone I actually want to have on the show, as a matter of fact, is my friend Lisa Brown. Now, Lisa is a like crazy feminist person okay i got i'm all for women's rights okay i will i will say that again all right but lisa's a little wild she's like my favorite f word is feminism and i but my favorite thing about lisa is how much fun it is to talk to her yeah like she is just a delight to sit down with and discourse and you know, I think we both have the right kind of personality type when it comes to aggressively discoursing about anything. Like I remember <laughs> we watched the 2016 Super Bowl together and the whole time people are eating chips and watching and laughing at commercials and Lisa and I are discussing government. That's like, it, it was so much fun. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah. And yeah. So like someone like her, I'd love to have on the show because I mean, she believes in a little bit more of a radical stance that I'm uncomfortable with. But I love talking to her about it. And so I know for you too, Cameron, you've told me about different experiences you've had with people that disagree with you. And what's weird is that you and I, it doesn't matter what political side you're on, right? Both sides usually disagree with us, (laughs) which is, which is weird. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, you're, you're talking like both sides of the political spectrum, right, right. Like right or left, disagree with us. So like Lisa, yeah, no doubt. Lisa disagrees with me. She's on the far left. My dad is like super conservative, right? He disagrees with me all the time. Like yeah. every Sunday lunch that we have, he's like calling me stupid because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but 
I enjoy it. Like that's just, uh, it's great and it's important yeah. to be talking about this stuff. I agree. And I would say you're probably doing something right if you're, um, if you're pissing off both partisans. I would say that that's that's probably that's probably the right place to be. And you got to be a sick weirdo like you, uh, like like Cameron and I to enjoy it. Yeah, although <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of too bad sometimes because I think at this point we are get, we're getting into a really political uh, topic on this on this show, by the way. But I think at this stage in the discourse, we are getting to a point where things are so heated that it's it's almost like people don't want to speak out people don't want to speak their mind they yeah. just want to toe the party line on on either di- direction either you know, way on either and, side and i think that's what's fun and what you and i are trying to encourage right now is that when you sit down with people and show them good respect and have a good conversation it is a lot of fun but it, yeah. it, it it's also surgical <laughs> you can't be an idiot Oof. and walk into yeah. that. You gotta, yeah, you gotta do it with lots of grace. You gotta be quite uh, diplomatic. Yeah, and you gotta concede things too. That's always my my strategy. Is I'll say, you know, oh well, you know, this this could be this is a good point here, you know. But I think one of the things that somebody will would say is not right with that. You know, I'm very I'm very diplomatic about that sort of thing. So I find that you get the best conversations when you don't say something that as like how do I say this most people I talk to will not ever say they're wrong at the beginning at the beginning of the conversation they will do everything to tell you how right they are and the funnest thing to do is be like I think you have a great point there like I actually enjoy doing that even if I don't uh, and even if I don't agree with it 100% I'll be like I think you have a great point there I don't know if I agree with it but I'm hearing what you're saying yeah and And you say you yeah and you encourage them but also point out the flaw i think okay this is this is what my advice is if you're going to have political um conversation this is quite changing but i, I it's not qu- too far off topic okay <laughs> because as as makarov says in modern warfare 3 <laughs> all war is built on deception and what's that another word for politics okay right that's, yeah that's I mean, true good no point. no my my advice is to be encouraging in the other person's sides and say you know this isn't something that i necessarily agree with but let's let's um you know let's dive into this topic and let's let's really like work on it and and you personally try to steel man the other person's argument and say okay well you know it doesn't seem like this is this is quite fleshed out in that way you know this um this part doesn't connect logically for me so let's let's go let's rough those out let's smooth out those edges and you all you like while you're doing that not only are you think you're making them think that you're building up their argument but you're actually poking holes in, the, in their <laughs> argument you sicko <laughs> the other thing is you learn a lot too right yeah you do i mean i've walked into so many conversations with people where they began to discuss things that I don't know anything about, and they're really smart on it. Mm-hmm. For example, I don't know much about government uh, subsidies and and the way that green energy works. Okay, mm-hmm. I, that's not something I've really studied. I understand economically the um, 
reward system that government has in place for green energy and how they uh, subsidize certain companies and then they also punish other companies for doing certain things like that makes sense to me on an economic level but some people have a case by case this is all I read about sort of mentality yeah. right for me that topic is rent control right I don't know everything about it but I am more informed than most right I can explain my case to most people about it yeah when you're talking about something that some or something that someone cares about and you don't know anything, it's still fun if you're like, dude, I know nothing about this. Yeah, just learn. But, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. Learn and be skeptical. That's like my middle name. Trust but verify. (laughs) (laughs) That would, I mean, Twitter is just the verify part. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, gosh. Twitter. I think, I do think social media is a lot to blame for our polarization. All right. I think absolutely. You really want to keep it. Cameron loves talking about politics. As you can tell, like this is just completely segued into it. Yeah. It's fun though. It is By fun. the way, while you were talking about the Russian Revolution, I started doing some reading on Rasputin's death. That is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's talk about that. Yes. Do you want to transition into the post show first though? Dude, we're already at an hour and a half. Oh, well, it doesn't <laughs> matter then. Um. <laughs> it's been the post show ever since we started talking about political uh, discourse and tension in the right, United I, States. So. Exactly. Um, so... Uh, Rasputin, he uh, was executed along with the czar. Um, although he, well, not along with the czar, but he he was, was found like a, out. a methodical assassination of him or a murder yes. of him by whoever assassinated the czar as well or something. Yeah, right? I, it was the I think it was the communists. Um, like communists murdered the czar where he was. Um, imprisoned i had it i was i was reading it while you were talking about some stuff here um well now it's not here so he oh here it is okay um so yeah he was killed vladimir putin uh vladimir putin was the one who planned to kill rasputin vladimir putin just kidding the (laughs) the president of russia his name is vladimir puskiv okay (laughs) uh purishkiv yeah. I think that's the best way I can do it, say it. So basically he was beaten, shot twice, and then thrown in a river. Not according to this completely. It says his his cause of death was three gunshot wounds, uh one which was close range shot to the forehead. Yes. The full story is that he um was officially killed outside of the house that he was supposed to be assassinated in he was for sure killed and then dumped in a river right so it says and they think that he survived that and then was shot again after he got out of the river so a lot like historian douglas smith says uh what really happened at yuspov's home which is where he was killed yeah um by felix yuspov um, a friend or something, someone that he he had known. Um, what really happened at Yuspov's home on De- on December seventeenth will really never be known. All we know is that he died. But here is the story, according to Yuspov. He invited Rasputin into his home shortly after midnight and ushered him into the basement. He offered him tea and cakes, cakes that had been laced with oh, cyanide. Yes. I forgot this one. Okay, he was poisoned too. <laughs> Rasputin refused the cakes, but then began to eat them, which is quite odd. He's sort of a weird Gandalf character anyways. 
To Yusupov's surprise, Rasputin did not appear to be affected by the poison, and then he asked for some of the wine, which had also been poisoned, and drank three glasses, <laughs> and there showed to be no sign of distress. Around 2.30 a.m., Yusupov excused himself to go upstairs where his fellow conspirators were waiting. Taking the revolver from uh, Dmitry Pavlok, Yusupov returned to the basement, referring... Uh, and referring to the crucifix in the room, told Rasputin he better look at the crucifix and say a prayer, and shot him once in the chest. He believed him to be dead, uh, and then drove to Rasputin's apartment uh, with Shakovin wearing Rasputin's coat and hat, apparent, uh, trying to make it look like Rasputin had went home to return to the night. This is some espionage crap going on. They're basically trying to make sure that nobody really noticed because Rasputin is a famous figure, even though he's not necessarily loved by the public. Upon returning um, to uh, Mokian Palace, Yuspov went back into the basement where Rasputin had been killed. Suddenly, Rasputin leapt up and attacked Yuspov, who, <laughs> with some effort, uh, freed himself and fled upstairs from the basement. Rasputin followed him and made his way into the palace courtyard before being shot by Pierskiv uh, and collapsed into a snowbank. The conspirators then wrapped Rasputin's body in cloth, drove it to the uh, Peskra, uh, Petroskai Bridge, and dropped him into the Mylian Nevka River. So this is the story according to Wikipedia, and this is the account by Yuspov. Uh, who said this is what happened? Nobody really knows. Obviously, th that would be a crazy story. Maybe he's like, what the heck? Who cares? No one knows at this point. I'm just going to make up the story. But it's kind it, of amazing. It that. just goes with his mystic character. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. That he somehow survived poison and, and all this other crazy crap. Two gunshots. I don't know, man. Pretty intense. I don't know if I buy it, but it would be hilarious if it was true. I love the part where he leaps up and he attacks the guy. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. Yeah, Rasputin's a funky character, dude. Yeah. I was I was referencing a shop called Rasputin Music. It's a record store in San Jose. Well, it's there's in one in San Francisco. Campbell. Yeah, um, that's what I always think of whenever yeah. I hear his name. I'm like, oh yeah, Rasputin Music, bro. Yeah, there. Um, like I said, Anastasia, the uh, the movie, the animated movie. His the main villain was Rasputin. Oh. Well, that's kind of confusing because shouldn't the main villain of that movie be communists? Cameron, you anarchist scum. What? I'm what just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's my favorite thing. I love um, calling people anarchists, including myself. I'm not an anarchist. Nobody knows what anarchist means. I do. I know you do. But the other day I said it to someone and they were just like, oh my gosh. Like, what was I saying? I was like, oh, there's no such thing as an anarchist politician. And and uh, and I said to yeah. the, I said to the person I would be the first, and then they looked at me and they're like, "Well, isn't Donald Trump an anarchist?" And I was like, "What? My gosh, <laughs> dude, you do not know what that word means." But <laughs> it was pretty funny. Isn't Donald Trump an anarchist? Don't they call him a fascist too? How, how could you be a, an anarchist fascist? <laughs> For those of you who do not know, anarchist is not referring to Sons of Anarchy, uh, although it makes sense because that shows about biker gangs. Um, Anarchy is a state of like zero government. Yeah. Every man for themselves kind of thing. Yes. The war of all against all. I think of the Wild West. So speaking of... I think of, of Red Dead Redemption, boy. Speaking of... Yeah, that sort of was anarchy. That's where the Hatfield and McCoy sort of thing is... Uh, well, that's why it's important to have a government. Yes. Um, but 
uh, speaking of the English Civil War, if we want to go back to this, and the war of all against all, um, Thomas Hobbes was a direct product of the English Civil War. Um, Who's Thomas Hobbes? philosopher and um, uh, writer of the Leviathan, which is basically a, a very large argument for the for the monarchy. Um, or for, you could say, um, keeping in place political institutions. It oh, wasn't necessarily okay. an argument for the monarchy, but it sort of is. It was a reverse argument for anarchy. Saying yeah, they, anarchy's bad. Yes, yes, yeah. essentially. Um, and and actually, he, that's exactly what he says. He yeah. says, um, in a, in the state of nature, he he's the one who originates the idea of the state of nature. Right. So right. he says, in the state of nature, um, it's going to be nasty, brutish, and short, um, which means um, people are going to be so paranoid about um, about their stuff that people are going to steal their stuff or people are going to murder them. Um, that it's essentially going to be a war of all against all. Yeah, it would be very apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah. And he says, in order to stop this, because he's, you know, he he was growing up when, when the English Civil War was happening. In order to stop this, we or all... Or no, he, he wasn't growing up. He was actually um, an advisor uh, in the English Civil War, but he had to flee. And so he was like, okay, this is a terrible thing. We should not be fighting each other. Instead, we should all do the bird box challenge. Instead. <laughs> Thomas was ahead of his times. Yeah, he was. We should all we should all put put bandanas around our eyes and go along blindly. What did he actually say? No, he said we um in in order to uh not go into the state of nature and not kill each other endlessly. Um, we give up all of our rights to to the government. Hmm. I mean, I see where he's coming from. Yeah, makes sense. I disagree, but he know. has some valid points. Yeah, whatever. I just feel bad for the guy who's driving home from a long day's work, listening to this podcast, and thinking, <laughs> "I thought these guys talked about video games and crap, and now I'm sitting here being put to sleep, getting a lecture about Thomas Hobbes, <laughs> Calvin and Hobbes." Thomas Paine. <laughs> I read that guy. He wrote some comics. Who, Thomas Paine? <laughs> no, Thomas Hobbes. <laughs> He's the tiger, right? <laughs> hey, now, aren't look, those characters based on uh, some sort of philosophical characters? No, I well? don't think so. I think they are. I don't know. but I think they are. I really do. In any case... That's a smart strip, by the way. I think that this stuff is really important. No crap. And you wonder why I have such hard opinions. I'm starting to slur my words throughout this podcast. I I did a lot of reading, and it's now 1030. Is that because it's late? Yeah, I'm just getting tired. My first day of Saturday State starts tomorrow. Ooh. Usually towards the end of this podcast, guys, we we do not go this long on a subject. I don't really want to do a two-hour episode, if I'm being honest. No, let's cut it. We will cut it, but I'm just saying, usually the last half hour, and I usually have to say this, an hour and 20 minutes in now. <laughs> Usually the, has, the last half hour is something called nothing to do with anything where Cameron and I just talk about whatever the heck we want and what's going on. Yeah. So let's take like three minutes. People are going to be listening to this on Monday. What's going on with you, dude? Uh, not much. Just editing on a new computer, huh? Yeah, pretty much. That's uh, fun. I, I like my new computer. 
It is sweet. You brought it over. Very snappy. It's very fun. It was super cool. Ryzen processor. Although I didn't have it optimized when you were here. I know. It kind of sucked, but I am broke. Very broke. And I also took a train up from LA. It was Mm. 10 hours. Got to ride with a bunch of crackheads. Oh my gosh. 10 hours. Yeah. But it was kind of, it actually went pretty quick. 10 to 8. Not too bad. Did, did you go with Jules? Yes. And we watched a documentary called The Fire Festival on mm. Netflix. Oh, yeah. You were telling me about this. We were, uh, very interesting um, story. And My friend Drew, Drew Osimi is in that. Yeah. There's a shout out to him. I think the coolest thing about the documentary is it shows how one guy screwed over a bunch of people who thought they were working for something great. Yeah. And there are some great stories in there. And it's a little explicit, but it also says how the Fire app was supposed to change everything and it was supposed to be a really great app of course every tech company would say that and every app says it's innovative but um i don't know the way they talked about it i was like that would have been pretty cool if that app blew up hmm. uh it was it had to do with concerts and booking concert venues essentially fire festival was just a publicity stunt to get people to know about the fire app so there was like two teams there was like a bunch of people on this random island trying to put on this event right who had no experience and no time and no money as well. Um, yeah. Trying to sustain all these ticket sales and then meet up to expectations. While another team was in New York working on the app had nothing to do with the fire festival. Yeah. They yeah. were working on the app and trying to optimize it. And Why don't they just rebrand? Well, I'm assuming that's what they're going to do. Sure. Right. All those people are going to have to go find work and maybe they'll reference the people they work with. Now, now you know what's going to happen without this next big app. Now all we're stuck with is TikTok. Guess what? No one cares. They want to just watch. Dude, those TikTok, those TikTok ads are actually getting beyond obnoxious. They're not even funny. They're just weird. Like I watched this one with a girl dressed up in some cosplay Japanese crap. Hit or okay? miss. No, I wish that was the good old days. <laughs> yeah, okay? it was. She was. She had some high-pitched voice and she was obviously lip-syncing some weird anime thing. And... It meant nothing to me. It meant nothing. And he it was... died inside. I wanted to just... I was looking at a... I was like, where's the cliff? All right? Where's the <laughs> cliff? Where's the noose? Let me hang myself from the fan and swing around a little bit. Okay? I just... I wow. want to be Tracer. But way better. Yeah. That's hot. That's hot. And with that, ladies and gentlemen... Thank you for listening to Everything Comes From Something, a historical podcast this time. It's an unoriginal podcast telling you where things come from, whether that's interviews, talking about random stuff we want to talk about, or talking about history. Yeah, you know, I think this the name of our podcast can pretty much justify any topic because everything comes from something, including the vocal waves out of my mouth. That's true. Thank you for making it to the end of the show. As I said on Patreon.com, if you give it the $5 level, I have said this before in a past episode, you can post your questions every month. We do a post and you can write your questions for the show. Now I'm pulling up the thing on oh, the website. Oh, do we have questions? And all of you Patreon supporters have not said anything. Any questions? It's like our Patreon supporters don't listen to the show. <laughs> it's like our Patreon supporters are just like, yeah, pay once and whatever. But you guys are welcome to ask questions for the show. Now, we know most of the Patreon supporters uh, personally. So if you guys are listening to this, feel free to text us questions for the show. That's what you guys are paying for. 
but no one has put a question for January. I'm going to say nobody listens past like 45 minutes, I'm sure. That's a good point. We do. We really need to put that at the beginning. I do feel bad. I mean, it's the last post we put on uh, Patreon. Yeah, well, so, it's not like you're checking Patreon every day. I, I'm assuming people... I don't know. Like, I feel like... I don't know. I've been thinking about this, Cameron. I'm like, if people are paying, why aren't you going to want to buy into the product? But the truth is, it's almost sort of a donation service at this point. Yeah. I know our producers are going to be planning episodes in the upcoming months. There's only two of them, so, I mean, we don't want to overwhelm them with topic ideas. We, are, of course, are going to take the show where we want to go. That's what it says in the in the $50 producer level. We say, hey, you can give us show topics. It has to be approved by us, though, right? Um, but they're great friends of the show, Kiana and Darren. And so, um, <clears throat> like... We're going to be reaching out to them for some show topics. Obviously, I don't even know where I'm going with this. But You know, yeah. I was thinking Patreon subscribers, they get gypped in the month of February. Why? There's only 28 days. Well, apparently, they don't even want anything in 31 days. Yeah, they didn't I guess even so. question. That's a good point. I mean, we love you guys. We want you to have questions for the show. We, As you can see, we're very charismatic. We'll answer almost anything yeah, at so this point. Yeah, so charismatic. I got a lot of comments about the censor. At the end of that last episode where you swore, Cameron. Yeah, you never... I didn't listen to it. Jonathan said it was hilarious. Yeah. Anyways. I did say put a cat noise. What did you put? Just a sensor beep. Beep. I I think that's what made it kind of funny. Okay. Anyways. um, We appreciate you guys. Hopefully you'll learn something about history. And tune in next week. We will be continuing the shenanigans. So we'll see you next Monday. And we hope you enjoyed the show.